Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Square One. A podcast where we take our guests back to square one, where they first started their business, so that you can learn from their successes and failures. Brought to you by Isaiah and Malcolm with Omni Home Services. Today we have our first guest, Doug Edrington. I met Doug actually on the 4th of July on I-75 under an overpass many, many, many years ago uh, when my truck broke down. Doug was friends with my twin brother. Which I didn't know he had a twin. (laughs) Very confusing. And he came uh, with a toolbox and helped me fix my truck during a very hot 4th of July. So I appreciate that back then, Doug. I'm a long way. A long long (laughs) way from there. I don't even know how many years ago that was. But uh, since then, Doug has created a very successful real estate firm. He now has the number one team in the city that sells the most houses. He also runs a very established brokerage, which employs about 45 people. And it's very influential. I know you were doing some real estate coaching at one point. Are you still doing that? No, no, no. I did that until I had about a six-year run with that and ended uh, December this last year and learned a lot from it. Probably the best thing I ever did professionally. Learned more than I ever could teach, I should say. But it it was time uh, January of this year to say, you know what, it's uh, that chapter has come and gone and now let's focus on the company that we started and that we're still growing. Just because you see more fruit by working on other things? It's uh, probably ambition. We had things on cruise control for a while a good setup for cruise control, I guess you could say. But then, you know, with uh, all the technology that keeps changing, AI getting involved with everything, it's like, all right, there's so many new projects we need to tackle. And it was, it's hard to serve two masters, run with my brokerage and also help other clients as well. So it was like, you know what, this is a good time to help transition them all the past clients to coaching clients to new coaches and focus on myself and the company. Good. Let's jump into one of my favorite questions, Doug. The reason for our podcast is that business ownership has become so romanticized, starting your own business, being an entrepreneur. And it should be. It's fun. It has very good rewards. But what nobody tells us at the very beginning of our careers is the bad parts of it. Mm -hmm. So tell us one or two big failures or hurdles that you experienced. Just one or two. (laughs) You know, I want to start with kind of a concept I heard the other day. It was pretty sharp. It was people start or buy businesses for generally one of two things or both. Um, Money or freedom, right? They can earn more money owning a business than if they had a job or they can have more freedom than having a job. But then ironically, the same reason they sell businesses (laughs) is for money or freedom. Okay. You know, I'm uh, thinking about, you know, someone's thinking about selling a business, they're looking for more freedom or they're saying I can earn more money doing something else. And so if you think about, to answer your question directly here, one of the biggest mistakes, I'd say this is just a generalization, is anytime you decide to start any type of business, the first thing you should consider is what's your exit plan. Oh, so true, man. <laughs> you, so hey, true. you know that one really well. So true. Yeah, and I do too. And when you when you think about, Okay, so whoever's listening to this, maybe you're not starting your own business just yet, but maybe you're thinking about partnering with someone to do something even small, just really tiny. Maybe maybe you're a real estate agent, I'm in the real estate space, maybe you're a real estate agent and you're like, I'm going to partner with another agent in my office on a specific lead source, and we're going to go in and we're going to spend money together. Although that may not be starting your own business, you are starting some form of a partnership. Partnerships only work 
if both parties need each other. If one person needs the other and the other person doesn't, they're just doing a favor or it sounds fun or it's convenient. Chances are that's probably not going to end well. And the way to solidify that is making sure you have that exit plan, you know, even on something small or running an entire large company of some sort. If you don't have an exit plan on, on whether it be, how do you break up with your partners or uh, where does the money go? Or, you know, let's say your partner with someone and they get divorced or married or they have kids like as your company grows, you start to think, Oh, what if my partner died? Does that mean I'm partners with their children or their spouse? That's most likely if you don't have it teed up. If there's not a plan, it can get really sketchy. And usually the the sketchiness only arises when there's a problem. So question on that. Are you personally a fan of partnerships or no, not really? (laughs) (laughs) Malcolm's laughing at that Um, because we've had so many conversations. I was thinking about how long we knew each other. I think I was 18 on the side of the road with you. I'm 38 now, so that's 20 years. Wow. So the question is, is am I a fan of partnerships? If both parties need each other, you know, the bigger we get and we being anybody, usually a a big need for partnership is going to be around money. You know, they're looking for investors. They're looking for something of that nature. And so if you need investors to accomplish your goals, they ought to need the value that you're providing. Sure. And so I think it's really important to make sure that it's just not a money grab because otherwise they're just a bank. Okay. Allow me to weigh in on what you're saying is what people don't realize too is if you don't have an exit plan, you still have an exit plan. It might be death. So what happens to your assets? Or I mean, if you're the sole owner and you die, what happens then? If you've got 45 people in your brokerage that you're responsible for, if that happens, what happens to you know the rest of it? Well, I know my wife would absolutely kill me if I fell over dead today and she was an owner of a company and she's like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know? That would be very selfish of me to leave her in that situation. So having the plan of like, if I fall over dead today, there is contingency plan after contingency plan after contingency plan, because, you know, my family's involved in that plan. But then it even goes past if like, what if we're all on a plane and the plane goes down? Like there is a plan. There is a plan C, D and even F. Good, good, good. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people aren't educated on and we've all learned the hard way, but when you have partners or investors, whether they're silent or very involved, you now have that fiduciary responsibility to take care of those stakeholders. So every single thing you do is under a microscope now because it's your responsibility to look out for them. So be cautious there. (laughs) (laughs) So Doug, thanks for a couple of those, but you didn't really tell us about, and if you're avoiding the question, that's cool. But (laughs) Biggest problems. Um, Yeah, tell us something that you experienced. I can think of three or four, but tell us something that happened to you that you learned something from greatly. So I think of when you are building or growing your business, you're going to do better with people around you. Teams always out, they always outperform an individual. And so one of my earlier mistakes getting in this business at 19 years old, you want to be friends with all your, all your people you work with. And, and that, that's challenging. That's sticky. It's difficult, but it's even more difficult when you build the relationships with your colleagues and you want them to be as involved as you are. And many times they do. 
And uh, when it comes time to them wanting to be treated like an owner versus an employee, if you don't have that plan, it's going to blow up in your face. I had that blow up in my face. I had I had uh, an individual that worked with me, helped me build a lot. We did a lot of really good things together. And then you have one tough month and all of a sudden it's like, okay, was I treating him like a partner or was I treating him like an employee? And how did he feel? Did he feel like a partner or did he feel like an employee? And that lack of clarity, even though on paper he was an employee, I treated him like a partner in that sense. And then when things got hard, trying to treat that person like a partner wasn't fair to him. And so expectations just weren't set properly. So I know I'm kind of beating around the bush a little bit, but at the same time, it it just comes down to understand the difference between your partners and your employees. And then on top of that, as much as you want to love on your employees from a compensation standpoint, if you end up overpaying, people think like, oh, this doesn't happen that often. It happens all the time where business owners overpay employees. And it's great because you want to love on them. You want to support them. But then it gets to a certain point where it's like, I need this person to step up to the compensation they have been given or earned, I should say. And if not, we need some of that compensation to hire someone else. And if you rush into a quick increasing comp plan for someone that still has a lot to learn and isn't willing to put the work in, either not willing to or not capable of, you're putting yourself in a tough spot. Because if you don't have the the money to hire more help, then who are you hurting? You're hurting everybody, but like you have to start making some very specific questions that you got to ask yourself. So you learn from that specific situation, set clear expectations? Absolutely. Yeah, set really clear expectations. I've heard you say it in the past multiple times too, is who's in charge? Mm-hmm. And I think you allude to that often because if you don't have a very specific org chart, people get confused and maybe somebody thinks they're higher or lower and that just muddies everything. I mean, at the end of the day, I love collaborating and I love ideas, bring us ideas, bring us opportunities. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to make a decision. Well, think about a so many small businesses are built from really nice people. Not all of them. But, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of small businesses. They're generally nice people. They wanted to solve a problem that the world needs fixing, and and they said they could do it, and then they started hiring their friends and their family and everybody that they know, and then they're forced to learn some business. Um, one of the hard lessons I learned early on, I remember being uh, in front of, at, a, at a real estate conference and talking to a very well-known coach, and one of the first times I met him, and he, he's meeting me and kind of the leadership of our team. And one of the first questions asking him, I was like, so we're kind of kicking the idea around about getting into business coaching and, and, uh, you know, what would that be like? And what does that look like? And uh, what would you do for us in that sense or your company? And he said, let me ask you a couple questions. First off, who's the boss? And I was like, well, I mean, it's like, you know, I do this and they do that. And he's like, all right, there's the first problem. (laughs) (laughs) And so we learned very quickly. If you think of a triangle, this is just how it was shown to me, but you know, I picture a triangle. There's three really important points that need to be considered. Um, when you're starting a business or restarting your business, like always it feels like, is getting clarity around three things. Ownership, uh, which is like equity, right? Compensation, which is pay. And um, decision-making, which is who's in charge. So like let's just say a company's owned by three people. 
that doesn't mean that if the head honcho is, oh, we'll call it the one's the CEO, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to make the most money. That doesn't mean that they have to make all the decisions. That doesn't mean they have the, the top equity position necessarily. It could, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. But I think having clarity around who, you know, if you think of just decision making alone, if you're a boss that can't make a decision on your own and you're leaning on the rest of your team, it's great to be able to get that feedback. But at the end of the day, it's on you if you make the wrong decision and you got to be able to own that. And so you need clarity around that because without the lack of clarity or with the lack of clarity, someone's going to get upset about something along the way. Now my business is um, like I am the CEO of my business and which some people might listening to this might say, well, that sounds egotistical. No, it is important that the whole company understands where the buck stops because if you don't have that, it gets frustrating for everybody on your team and your clients sometimes too. I mean, that's the beauty of having your business, right? Is you can be the CEO if you want to, but what you're saying also is not to be afraid to elevate people in the position, whether the title is above yours or not, it's okay to elevate people to making decisions. Absolutely. I mean, look, my parents and I own our company 50-50. So we have very clear um, equity positions on this. It's in writing. We know what it is. Um, we also have clear compensation plans, which may or may not align with that ownership uh, split. It can be different. But when we talk about uh, decision-making, there was a time earlier in our business where like mom, dad, and I made a lot of decisions together. And if you think about the whole blood situation, like, you know, I don't want to let mom and dad down. They don't want to let me down. We don't want to upset mom today. You know, dad's busy. We don't want to stress him out. Like all those things are real. And so when it comes to hard decisions, that can get really muddy. Eventually, we got to clarity with great mentorship, great coaching, helping us along the way. Of We had to make a clear decision of what does that look like. So now at the end of the day, as acting CEO, I take their opinions. I take their feedback still. I respect and value that feedback. But there's sometimes I make the decision that's completely opposite of what they want to do because I've been put in this role to make that decision. And that's hard sometimes, but sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm glad you dove into the family piece. I would say a lot of people out there would rely on family because that's what they want to do, or maybe it's money. What have you learned if somebody's going to go into business with family? What have you learned what to do or not to do? Um, <laughs> a little bit of repeat of what I've been saying. When it comes to the family piece, I think every family operates differently. What's worked well for us is stay in our own lanes. I mean, my dad is one of our top salespeople, if not the top salespeople in our company. Um, my side's in leadership as running the company. And so he's tried to push me. I've tried to push him in different directions. And where we found is like, let's stay, let's stay out of each other's way. But by making that decision, which was hard at a certain time, over time, we started to see this is actually working really beautifully. <laughs> And so it's now allowed us to, when I do recognize something that he could do differently or better and vice versa, same for me, um, we approach it differently because it's not like we're trying to strong arm each other. It's more of like, I'm staying on my lane. I recognize something. I have a suggestion. Do you want it? And I have no expectations when giving that feedback. And he shouldn't have any expectations when giving the feedback to me because it's valuable information that's worth considering. And then we get to make our own decision in our lane. So whether it's friends, family, strangers, hell, I think you hit it on the nose. If you don't have what your job responsibilities are, 
that's a good way to lose a family member, a friend, or a stranger is if you don't have those expectations set up right on the rip. I know Isaiah's uh, itching to ask you a couple questions, <laughs> but I did want to uh, just weigh in. You said something super cool earlier about starting your business and you want to be friends because it is like a family, right? We are kind of like a family, but what happens is you get to be such a friend and then you have to make a business decision and they get upset, whether it's just a rudder correction or not. And then they're going to have hard feelings because they're going to say, oh, he doesn't care about me anymore or whatever the situation is. When the fact is, it's just a business decision. So I think we're all guilty of getting too friendly with uh, staff members. So We've also heard like, I brought you in this business. I can take you out of this business. I created you. Unfortunately, it starts to internalize to some bosses or owners of companies like like you own these people. And, and as a young 20-something, like there were times where you put your blood, heart, sweat, and tears into an individual, and then they just change their mind and say, this isn't for me. And it does piss you off. It hurts. And you're like, man, I, I gave more than they were willing to give. But over time, as we mature, you start to recognize, you're like, wow, I'm just a page in their book. And my goal is to be their best leader. I won't be their first, I won't be their last, but if I can be their best. And when someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm thinking about making a change, or I'm thinking about leaving, or I want something that you're not willing to give me, at that point, you just coach them. Coach them in, in the right direction to help them help them reach the goal that they want. I've had agents come to me before and say, hey, I'm thinking about leaving and doing my own thing. My first question is, "Is awesome, can we make this your first coaching session where I'm coaching you to go do your own thing? And uh, when I first took on this methodology, I guess you could say, uh, a lot of people were kind of shocked, like, this was going to be a really scary conversation. I thought I might get fired, be told to leave right now. And I'm like, I've been there too. I get it. But at the end of the day, it's okay. Let's, let's talk through this. And often what they're wanting when we go to the whiteboard and it's like, hey, draw your org chart. What's your P&L going to look like for your first year? And they start to realize very quickly that they're in a position of one of two things. One actually, I'm in the best financial position that I know how to create right now already. Or two, you need to dream bigger. Because like, if you think of real estate and real estate teams, you know, we're 20-something people. We're a large team for Chattanooga. We're a small team for the country. Uh, agent comes to me and says, hey, I'm thinking about starting a team. They go to the org chart and they draw out a five-person team. Well, when you start thinking of the overhead and the marketing and the, the swag that you want to buy and the, the social activities and all these things, it's like, wait a minute, I make more money where I'm at now. And I'm like, I'm not telling you you're at the best place that you could possibly ever be at, but you are if you can't dream bigger. And so what's a bigger business plan you should start thinking about? I love that you open up the eyes of, hey, let's talk about this because this is what people don't think about when they go to start their business. Especially if you got to have your own brick and mortar and you got to have licenses. Man, I got to say, we opened up our own brokerage five and a half years ago. I've been hit with bills that I didn't even know was a thing. I mean, I'll never forget the first bill in the first year I got. My first surprise was a stormwater city bill for owning commercial property. It was like $12,000. And I'm <clears> like, for the water to go down the drain? I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> I have to pay for that? And then you had to pay to have it dug up that was like 18 feet underground, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a sewer line break that turned up being like a $60,000 problem. That was fun. So there's a lot of surprises 
that I don't care how prepared you are or how great of a coach you have, you're going to run across surprises of bills that, that you can't even negotiate your way out of. And it's just like, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of surprise along the way. But that's what makes us stronger. We learn along the way. We get more prepared the next year. We start to budget for those things, hopefully, and make things a little easier next go around. I mean, your agents are all uh, contractors, Independent right? contractors, the agents are. That's correct. So that's another thing that you should consider. Are you paying them as contractors? If so, the IRS has a very specific things that you can and cannot ask of them if they're W-2 versus I-9. And then if they are W-2, like we run across a whole other... A problem at the inspection company where we provide vehicles. What if somebody gets in an accident? Mm -hmm. That's a real possibility that people just don't think about. So a very good friend of mine in another market, nowhere around here, is wrapping up. When I say wrapping up, probably has another year of it left to go. She hired a bunch of independent contractors, real estate agents, and um, she made some serious changes in her company. It upset a handful of agents. And so they decided, by the way, these weren't top producers. These were the people that were being pushed out due to lack of performance. They all teamed up and filed a class action lawsuit uh, against her. And the argument was uh, they were being treated as employees when they were 1099. And she's coming out on top, but it's going to cost her close to $300,000 just to defend oh. herself. And it's not over yet. She's learned tremendously from it. And I've been able to learn from it in our small sphere that we all mastermind together with. And so it's been really valuable. So maybe that shifts to another area. How do we get better? And it's around surrounding yourself with the right people, you know, because I mean, I've made plenty of mistakes that this individual I'm talking about has learned from, and I get to learn from her mistakes. And, you know, you are who you surround yourself with, as they say. Yeah. So with being in the real estate field in the last few years, right, it's been kind of a kind of a wild time. What's one of the most difficult things about being in the industry? And how did you guys pivot around that? What's the most difficult? Oh, gosh, that list is so long. Uh, you know, I think the old problem many of us are having now is finding good people. Mm. And let's define good people, right? Because there's a lot of people that don't want to work with us. They are good people. I'm not labeling people as bad here. But it's trying to find calloused, thick-skinned people that understand that the boring stuff works. Get up in the morning, put the work in. And then enjoy life, right? Always be innovating, always changing. But there's so many people that, I mean, we on average interview seven people a week. And we hire uh, about two a month. Whoa. And it's a lot of time spent to meet these people. And we're basically paying coach to a lot of these people. We're coaching them through what it would look like if they worked in our business, you know, at at J. Douglas Properties and the Edrington team, we're very unique real estate brokerage in Chattanooga in a sense of we don't hire everybody. Whereas almost, almost every brokerage in Chattanooga will hire you if you have a license. You could have another job. You could be less than part-time. You could be, I'm just going to sell a house once or twice a year because I want to flip houses. They will hire you. We won't. And it's because our standards are just so high. I was, my dad raised me very well coming into this business of it's long hours, hard work and being dedicated to your customers. And when you have someone come on board that is like, do I have to show up for meetings or can I just come in virtually? 
I'm like, I'm like, so what's going to be the better outcome if you're surrounded by individuals dressed to show up to work and be able to get in the weeds on whatever topic we need? Or is it going to be better if you're in your, your pajamas and you're like laying in bed and you won't turn your camera on because you're half still hung over? Like, where are we going to set ourselves up for success? It's obvious which one it is. Uh, cause we need some tough people right now. The world needs tough people and the world is becoming softer and softer and softer. I really appreciate it. Something that you said that you have to be okay with doing the boring stuff. That is like so impactful. I feel like, especially for the younger generation, there's so much stuff in the media now about having success quick. The money is in doing the basics consistently to a high standard. Mm. If you can do the basics consistently to a high standard, you will do very well. It's like you said, though, I want to get rich quick. I want to do the fun stuff, the fancy stuff. You know, every realtor's kiss of death when they get in the business without good guidance, they focus on their business card, a logo and a website. And I can tell you right now, the consumer does not care about those things. They care about, do I like you? Can I trust you? And can you guide me to help me reach my goals? And that is like for in real estate, you got to study the MLS. You got to understand the contracts. We have to study exactly what to say to consumers because if we study it, we know what objections they're going to have. And if we study what to say from those objections, we can help them move along quicker. There's only so many reasons someone's going to tell you they're not ready to make a move yet. And if you understand what those objections likely are, It's about educating them. It's not about trying to convince them to do something they don't want to do. It's helping them understand that the path is achievable. Hmm. So I learned this uh, at a conference recently. It was great. Uh, Give a a plug to a guy named Phil Jones. Um, Just a brilliant, brilliant guy. He wrote a book. He's written a bunch of books, but the one that uh, is very simple, but you got to listen to it a lot to really internalize it. It's called Exactly What to Say. And he said, people make decisions based on three things. They have to feel good about it. They have to feel capable and they have to feel smart. And so smart means they have to have enough information to be able to make a good decision. Capable, they have to believe in themselves that the decision they're going to make is going to give them the outcome that they want. Good, they have to feel good about. This is the hard one. He defined good as just not bad. (laughs) Right? That's the world we live in. Right? And sometimes good enough is good enough. And we were actually using it through the context of recruiting agents away from other brokerages. Like if they were to join the Edrington team at our brokerage, let's assume it's like an ideal candidate, you know, uh, feel smart. We've provided them with enough information that they know if they came over to our company, they would probably have a better path than they were where they're at. Um, Capable. There is proven track records to where they can see others that they compare themselves to. And they're like, if they can do it, I can do it. And the tools are there. I think I will. Feel good. Again, we're going for just not bad. And it usually has nothing to do with me or my organization. It has to do with where they're coming from. Well, my last broker brought me into this business. And my last broker came to my kid's birthday party. And my last broker answered the call the other night when I asked him for the one contract question. And it was late. And I feel bad. Like, if they feel bad about leaving that broker, they're not going to make the change. This is one of the things we're actually actively working on. How do we make them feel good about the move? without harming the reputation of the other person, you know, because we don't want to be the 
I was going to say, you could paint that picture pretty easily if you wanted to go down the other <laughs> I mean, road. you can, but as we said, the world can be a little soft sometimes. So you got to... You, gotta, you don't want to do that. Anymore. But it's also, it's about self-discovery. If you tell somebody one thing, they have to believe it to believe anything else you say. Hmm. If I'm trying to get you to come work for us, Isaiah, I think you're a good cultural fit. I think you're capable. Your skill set's there. And I want you to come over. I've got to help you self-discover that it's a good decision, not tell you why it's a good decision. Because if I tell you one thing that you don't believe, now you're going to doubt everything else I say. Like, for example, I could sit here and say, Biden is the best president that we've ever had. I just changed at least half of your audience to be like, I'm not going to listen to anything else Doug says. But I could also say Trump's the best (laughs) president we've ever had and get the same thing. Right. I'm not playing that game. I'm not picking a side. I'm just using an extreme example. If you tell somebody one thing, you better make sure that it's accurate and they're going to believe it because otherwise everything else that comes out of your mouth, they're going to challenge in their head. Is that making sense? So we got politics and now you're trying to recruit Isaiah. This podcast is officially (laughs) over. (laughs) So with this podcast, one of the biggest goals that we have is giving people a good roadmap on how to get started. And I think that when we look at you and your trajectory, people would be interested to hear when you were starting out, maybe not the bad that we've gone over, right? Because we've gone over a lot of like what we would do maybe differently. I'd be interested to hear what positive factors or basically what steps did you take that you think were the most impactful to your success to where you are now? So... Practice on someone else's company. Practice on someone else's company before you try to start your own. Let's say I wanted to start a landscaping business, okay? I could buy a trailer, buy mowers, buy weed eaters, do all that stuff. I am quickly going to learn a lot very fast, probably about maintenance, about sales, about customer service, about billing, about all these things, and it's probably going to be really tough lessons. They're going to be valuable, but they're going to be really hard. Or I could go find the best landscaping company in town. Instead of learning the school of hard knocks, I'm going to go get my master's in landscaping or cutting grass or whatever it is. And I'm going to go find the best company and I'm going to go to work for them and I'm going to become their best employee. And so they want to pour into me and keep giving to me. And one or two things are going to happen here. I'm either going to have an amazing path to work within that company and maybe even be their future buyer or... I'm going to learn a lot and I'm going to have the confidence to jump out and say, I learned a lot. I'm ready to go start my own thing and I'm going to go from there. Or I might say, I learned a decent amount, but I'm not ready to do it. Let me go find the number two company in town and go work for them. It's all about who you surround yourself with. You need a teacher. You need a mentor. Every successful person, I would argue, has one hell of a unofficial board of directors, <laughs> right? Like, who's the mentor that helped raise you? Maybe your parents, maybe an old boss, maybe a teacher. Hell, today it's Google and ChatGPT on my board of directors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, leaning on other people and resources is extremely valuable. You don't just don't do things alone. That's a solid takeaway. I like that. Doug, do you have a favorite routine, like a morning routine, an evening routine? Do you have a favorite routine that you do? My my job is not as routine from a day-to-day perspective. It is from a week-to-week perspective. I would sum it up by say live by a calendar. I'm still amazed how, and again, I'm talking real estate, I'm still amazed how realtors, I'm like, hey, let's uh, we need to get together, let's meet for X, Y, and Z, And they're like, yeah, let me get back to you. I got to see what I'm doing that day. And I'm already looking at my phone saying, how do you not 
already know what you're doing that day, right? So first and foremost, absolutely live by a calendar. And the the routine in building that is you got to take care of yourself before you take everybody else. When the oxygen mask falls in the plane, they tell you to put it on you before you help anybody else so you can still survive. The same thing goes that way. So there's a routine we train in our company, and it's like the first thing and foremost goes on your calendar is your vacations. If you don't have something to look forward to, even if you can't afford the vacation, put the date on it because you got something to look forward to. It's the first thing that goes on the calendar. Second thing is going to be days off or date nights or nights off or with your kids or whatever. Like what are the short mini vacations in your day-to-day that you put on there? Those are so important because otherwise you end up having burnout or you play a lot and you realize you didn't work any. So schedule it, right? Uh, Third thing is going to be team or company commitments. So again, if you joined an organization, you've already taken care of yourself by vacations and days off. Um, Now it's like, okay, who am I responsible for? All the company events or meetings or trainings or whatever you have, those go on the calendar next. And then in a sales organization for us, the next thing you put on your calendar is prospecting time. You got to work to generate that business and then you fill in the rest of the gaps with appointments. For me as a CEO, appointments for me are one-on-ones with my agents or with our staff, their marketing team or transaction team or the money team, or it's prospecting for potential new recruits. So I think a routine is more of a structure of how you run your weekly, monthly, annual calendar more than a, a day-to-day. I didn't think we'd get vacation being the top <laughs> answer, but explain that way, dude, that makes so much sense. We're so guilty of just not putting that time on there and just working. Mm-hmm. Burnout is a real thing. So uh, just to recap, a couple of things that I wrote down here is exit plans, strategies, expectations, but really what I've wrote down over and over that you're saying good people, above, below, all around you. I know you've said multiple times good leadership. It's really funny to hear you say this because I also model something that you say to your team and you say, I don't expect everybody to be here forever, but I want when you leave to understand, maybe we've coached you up, maybe you've stacked cash, maybe you've learned, maybe you've met people, whatever it is, even knowing that we're going to pour into them and life is going to go on without them. So super solid there. Do you have any book recommendations or anything? I know you're always listening to stuff. Uh, you know, different books for different scenarios here. A couple come to mind. Um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I'd highly recommend everybody read it. It's a short, easy read. It's told in a story format, so it's easy to follow. Um, the Five Love Languages. A little off color for maybe this podcast, but I think it's really valuable. How you receive love is not how everybody else wants to receive love. So it's great for at home. It's also great at work. There's even a five love languages for business, I believe. Some of the latest nights I've worked, I had David Goggins in my ear a lot. And, you know, it could be one o'clock in the morning and and I'm like, I can't go home listening to this guy. Like, like <laughs> this guy's a beast. And so if you're on the treadmill or you're taking a project that you can do with something in your ears and you need the motivation to push yourself through it, like that's a great one to have in your ears. Dude, that one three years ago, I couldn't run a quarter mile. I listened to his can't hurt me and I signed up for an Ironman. You're like, I can't not run a quarter mile. (laughs) (laughs) So any parting words you'd leave with our listeners? Well, considering this is the first show and you have no listeners yet, I'm <laughs> you probably can say whatever, can say whatever you want. <laughs> I want to say. You know, I would say um, don't wrap up the people you care about in bubble wrap. 
let them fail. Let them make mistakes. Let them buy that thing that they probably shouldn't buy. And let them learn the hard way. Because when I was growing up, my dad said, which is true, that I could have anything I wanted as long as I could afford it. And at a very young age, I bought a lot of things that a lot of my friends didn't have, whether it be a nice car, a dumb Jeep, uh, a boat, things of that nature. And yeah, I wish I hadn't have bought all those things and I had made better decisions with that money. But I will say, I now know like I buy good things. I don't buy junk, right? I make less impulse decisions than what I once did. And I don't think I would have learned that lesson if I just had to listen to my parents and not buy that because I was told I couldn't. But I will say, have fun at the same time because by having fun, you get to meet new people. You know, so don't wrap them up in bubble wrap. Let them learn the hard way. Yes, they're going to blow the money, but that's going to give them something to want to get out there and earn more so they can make new decisions. So for the one listener out there, there you go. (laughs) Doug, thank you very much for your time. We know that uh, you're a very busy man, so we appreciate you coming in. Likewise, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for listening to Square One Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Omni Home Services, where we rep Chattanooga Home Inspector, Nuclear Pest Control, Elevate Home Staging and Design, and Radon Eraser. We release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.